Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 244. In today's episode, we'll be talking about lawsuits, murderous bears, and a comparison between nightmares and visiting H-E double hockey sticks. Didn't want to say the real word, huh? No, it's a family-friendly show. (laughs) So these plot points would not lead you to believe that we're talking about the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. But we are. Does that surprise you? Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's what we talked about, too, after we started diving into our research and learning more about this ride and how it came to be is just that there is so much that we did not expect always. I mean, more drama, more interesting things to discover, and of course, more of a story that we are looking forward to, you know, experiencing the next time we go ride. So uh, if you are new to this series, our goal here is to break down the stories of these different Disney attractions and make sure that we're catching all of the details that we can, that the Imagineers are putting us into the story. And this ride exemplifies that almost as well as any of putting you into the story. And so just breaking that down and having a better understanding, we believe, will enhance your next ride on the attraction. And so that is our goal here today. Each of these that we go through each week, I feel like are very interesting because they're either really heavy on the story side or they're really heavy on the history side. Some are both. This one, I expected it to be more story, but there's actually a lot of history that we're not history buffs, but the particularly with the context of these characters and how this attraction came to be, the history plays a lot into the story, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's very much like Mary Poppins-esque as far as Walt had to work very hard to acquire the rights to Winnie the Pooh. And it was something that was drawn out for many, many years. And I know that's something that you're going to talk about. And I think we just got to get into it. So let's get some of the early history off the ground. So these Of course, Winnie the Pooh is based off the stories of A.A. Milne, which were first published in 1926. So in 1926, he posted, or he posted, (laughs) he didn't have WordPress back then. No. He published Winnie the Pooh, and in 1928, he published The House at Pooh Corner. And so both of these are really just a collection of stories. It's not like something that you read from beginning to end, and it follows one cohesive stories. It's more just a collection of things. The house at Pooh Corner, though, does kind of have a background narrative of what is going on. So for the first example, or the first big thing that you have to know about the house at Pooh Corner is this is where we get introduced to Ticker. And he's a key guy. I mean, you whenever you think of Winnie the Pooh, I mean, he is in the top three characters, I would venture to say, that anyone would name. Okay, now now I'm very interested to hear. Are you leaving out Piglet or Eeyore? I guess Eeyore. Oh, my God. I know. It's kind of a sin. But when I think Winnie the Pooh, you have to think Pooh and Piglet. And then I just automatically think Tigger. 
That's probably true, but I feel bad for you. I know. And The House at Pooh Corner, this second book, was also the inspiration for Christopher Robin, the most recent movie that Disney has done with these characters. And this is where I talked about there's this background narrative going on the entire time as that Christopher Robin is growing up. And it culminates with the characters throwing him a farewell party in the very last chapter of this book. And it is implied, it's not explicitly said, but it's implied that Christopher Robin is starting school. So he no longer will be home to play with his 100 acre wood friends and that he is going to the next chapter in his life. And so the movie Christopher Robin expands on this idea is that Pooh and the other friends of the 100 acre woods have been waiting on him to come back and they need him to come back finally. So I don't know. You're already looking sad. Well, no, it just, it brings up a lot of memories like watching this movie as a kid, because it's so funny since they misread school as like skull. So they think he's going to this terrible place. And it kind of, it just like brought me back for a second because I can so vividly remember just watching this movie over and over and over again. And it's just kind of funny. So that kind of lays the groundwork to talk about how did Disney get Winnie the Pooh? And that, if you've never read this full story, and I think there's a documentary on it as well. It is wild and crazy and bizarre and twists and turns and drama, lawsuits, the Supreme Court, everything that you could possibly (laughs) think. So I'm going to try to give you a brief synopsis. And to me, learning about this just gave me a really, really good appreciation for the odds of Pooh getting acquired by Disney and having all these movies and TV shows made about him and the other characters and then culminating in an attraction in the parks, the odds were completely against it. And so it's really, and and so it's, it makes you not take it for granted, I think, when you know how hard Disney and the Milne family and all these other key players had to fight to make this thing work. Yeah, and just to keep the integrity of the stories. And again, I also just think it shows like when Walt was passionate about something, like he didn't just take no for an answer. I mean, he really fought for this. So go ahead, Brendan. So like I mentioned before, A.A. Milne wrote the first Pooh stories in 1926. And so then in 1930, Milne met a man named Stephen Schlesinger. And so Schlesinger and Milne entered into a contract that basically allowed all of the merchandise and other rights to be managed by this new company that Schlesinger created. So it was Stephen Schlesinger Inc., more commonly known as SSI. And he only paid $1,000 to Milne for all of this. And in return, Milne got 66% of the subsequent income after Schlesinger made his $1,000 back, which he did very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and SSI turned this into like a $50 million business in the 1930s, which by 1930 standards, even by today's standards, that's huge. That's very impressive. But especially in 1930 standards, it was huge. So they did all kinds of things such as making poo plush dolls, which I think almost everybody had a poo plush doll, or at least like a beanie baby (laughs) of poo growing up board games, puzzles. They did radio broadcast of readings of these stories on the BBC. 
they did animation, they did motion picture, all of this stuff. And so Milne was obviously successful in his own right, but partnering with Schlesinger really helped him. That that wasn't his skill set to market it and to really take these characters to the next level that they could. So all this time passed and A.A. Milne died in 1956 and the rights to Winnie the Pooh then transferred to his wife, Dorothy. And then upon Dorothy's death, rights were transferred to the Pooh Properties Trust. So how would you like to be charged of the Pooh Properties Trust? I mean, that's a fun name. PPT? Then in 1961, Disney acquired the rights to Winnie the Pooh Pooh from SSI. So around five years after Milne died is when Disney first got their hands on it. And Walt was very honest about that. This was a story that he wanted for a really, really long time. This was, these were books that they had in their home that he would read to his daughters at night. And he wanted a piece of this, that he really believed in the message of Winnie the Pooh and the 100 Acre Wood characters. And so it's, it, it kind of all culminated in 1961. They struck this deal. So then from there, a couple of different things have happened. There's some laws that are passed, like the 1976 Copyright Act that allowed 19 years of additional protection on Winnie the Pooh before it became public domain. Then Disney negotiated a revised deal with the Pooh Properties Trust in 1983 to prevent a feared contract termination. Then they passed another Copyright Act in 1998, which gave an additional 20 years of protection. And then in 2002, Disney and SSI got into a litigation fight. And so SSI claimed that Disney had been underpaying them royalties for all of these years. And so they wanted to backdate. Basically, who spearheaded this was Claire Milne, A.A. Milne's daughter. She wanted to backdate and terminate the 1930 agreement that Milne and Schlesinger struck. Mm -mm. Yeah, that would be hard to do. So, obviously, Disney's kind of in a precarious position at that point because they were not involved. And of course, in those early, the early deal that her dad reached with Schlesinger, but they were in charge of paying out these royalties over all these years from this original deal. And they claimed that they did not do it. So then in 2006, the U S Supreme court declined a grant of writ of Cetorary. And I know our lawyer friends will be, mad at me for not being able to pronounce that. But essentially what it said is that the Milne family trust was not owed any more money, which is sad to a certain extent because obviously Disney has money to spare and you want the Milne family to be taken care of forever based on the brilliant work of, of the patriarch of the family. But um, that's just not how it worked out. Yeah, that's interesting because to me, when I hear that story, I don't necessarily think that they weren't being taken care of. I just think maybe they saw the popularity and thought we could have gotten more. I don't know. I wasn't there. But it is interesting that it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. Uh, Yeah, and I think 
kind of the narrative to keep in mind throughout this whole story of how Pooh came to be is that it's almost like the next person who touched it had way bigger dreams than the previous person. So A.A. Milne obviously, you know, put his heart and soul into this. There's a lot of discussion that we can have about Christopher Robin. Uh, so there's a lot of similarity between Christopher Robin and A.A. Milne's dad, but there's also a lot of similarities between Christopher Robin and A.A. Milne's son. So it's almost like he's a mix between the two of them. So these are very personal stories, but obviously striking that deal with Schlesinger and taking it from a $1,000 transaction to a $50 million business in like five years was huge. And, and it laid the groundwork for why Winnie the Pooh is truly one of the most multi-generational collection of stories to ever be. Yeah, I completely agree. It's really impressive. Like, my mom loves Winnie the Pooh. Oh, yeah. But our grandparents love Winnie the Pooh, too, because they were familiar with them in the 40s and in the 50s. And then I don't know if Pooh's getting as much love anymore. Are they playing him on Disney Channel or anything like that? When we were growing up, he had a TV show. I remember watching a Winnie the Pooh television show. I'm not so sure today. You know, We're pretty familiar with our nieces Disney watching. He's been beat out by Bluey. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't think he's been getting a lot of screen time, but she definitely knows all the characters and I think it definitely has a very childlike appeal for kids who are visiting the parks and they all seem to know him. So I don't know where they're getting their Winnie the Pooh knowledge. Maybe it's grandparents or whatever else. Just multi-generational type of things, but I don't think he's on like TV right now. Well, and Pooh's groundwork is in literature. And so you can't go to a bookstore without seeing some sort of Winnie the Pooh book. That's true. And so I think there's a lot of bedtime stories that kids read with these characters. And obviously that's where they were first shaped. But I I would be remiss if I didn't point out that Christopher Robin is like quietly one of my favorite movies of all time. The amount of respect that they were able to pay to the original characters and how they were in the original books written by Milne, not how Disney transformed him over time and gave him a red shirt. And he wasn't quite as his personality changed a little bit over time, but the way that they were able to match and speak to our generation and the poo stories that we grew up with while also speaking to the original Christopher Robin and the original characters and in their appearance as well, I think was brilliant. And I've never seen a movie with Ewan McGregor that I didn't like. I was going to say, I don't think this is a very silent favorite movie at this point. You've talked about this a few times. I feel like this has come up in a couple different like movie ratings. I love Christopher Robin. You do loud and proud. So is that all for the history? Yeah. Is that about sum it up? As far as the Winnie the Pooh stories, I know you're going to cover the attraction history. Yes, that's true. So we're going to get into the ride history next because, of course, that was kind of the next step. Once Disney acquired it, you know, they started making the movies, which were a huge success. And because of just the rave reviews and the popularity of the film adaptations, this was kind of, you know, that light bulb moment for Imagineers where they were just like, we have to build 
this ride. We have to have a Winnie the Pooh ride. And initially, they had wanted to put it in Disneyland's Fantasyland. That was just kind of their goal placement initially. And they started to make plans in the 1970s. However, it just never came to be for whatever reason. Um, it didn't work out. No one really knows why in that initial stage it didn't work out. But when New Fantasyland was unveiled in 1983 in Disneyland, it wasn't there. Um, later, the idea came back into play that they still wanted to do a Winnie the Pooh ride. But now they had thought that they were going to put this attraction in Mickey's Toontown. So at this point, we're still talking about Disneyland. And they wanted this ride to have spinning cars that traveled through the most popular scenes from the movies. And again, the ride never came to be. But a fun fact is they did take those ride vehicles, those spinning cars, and they were later used for Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin, which we have talked about. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I would highly recommend it. That was one of our early ones, I feel like. It was. But that has quite the interesting story, too, just because it's Roger Rabbit, of course. However, everything did start to change when plans were getting approved for the new park, which were Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World. And this is where Imagineers finally had some space to do the things that they wanted to. So they had kind of tabled Winnie the Pooh for a long time. So this is several years now in the future. So we are kind of jumping from 1983 now to 1999. So everything was tabled after things in Disneyland didn't work out. And now the Imagineers wanted to take over the space that had originally held Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And again, this is pretty controversial because this was one of the original attractions in Magic Kingdom. And this goes back to a lot of the discussion that we had for Snow White's Scary Adventure. And so when they decided that they were going to build Magic Kingdom, Walt passed away, of course, before they could finalize all of the plans. And originally, they were not going to do a complete carbon copy of Disneyland Fantasyland. They were instead going to change up the ride. So instead of Snow White, it was going to be Sleeping Beauty. Instead of Peter Pan, it was going to be Ooh. Pinocchio. I don't remember. I don't remember. They were going to change these up. So again, I think you've slowly seen all this taken away besides Peter Pan. I think just because it's so popular. And this was an opportunity for them to make Fantasyland and Magic Kingdom its own entity instead of just a copy of Disneyland's version. But when you think about Fantasyland and the purpose of it, so Walt's original vision was that there were three emotions that needed to be satisfied by the three dark rides in this land. Fun, adventure, and fear. Fear is Snow White's scary adventure. Adventure is Peter Pan's flight. And so fun was satisfied by Mr. Toad's wild ride. So the question poses itself, does the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh satisfy the element of fun that Walt wanted? And I think as we get into storytelling, we're going to circle back to that because I do think that's important to kind of keep that groundwork in mind. But I feel like until we talk about the story, we can't really answer that. So table that. I'm glad you brought it up. But this is when um, they opened the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. So it opened in June 1999. 
And because it was taking over the space of Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, the Imagineers, like they'd usually do, they put two little tributes to the original ride here. And I love it when Imagineers do this because I just think it's very thoughtful. You know, they're kind of paying homage to what was originally there, especially for Disney lovers and those who were upset that it's gone. Me personally, I'm not upset that it's gone, but I know others. Well, tell us how you really were. feel. <laughs> we're very vocal too about our Mr. Toad's Wild Ride experience. So both it was of, wild. Both of the little Easter eggs are in Owl's house. So one is a portrait on the wall that shows Mr. Toad, and he's handing over the deed to the house to Owl. And the other is a portrait of Pooh and Molly. And that's lying on the floor. You can see that's been knocked off of the wall. And so this is another spot where there's a weird connection between the Wind and the Willows, which is the original inspiration behind Mr. Toad and Molly and A.A. Milne. So A.A. Milne is obviously now most notably known for writing Winnie the Pooh. But really the bulk of his life and the bulk of his work was dedicating to being a playwright. And so if you look at all of his literary work, he wrote way more many plays than he did anything else. And one of the plays that he did was an adaptation of The Wind in the Willows, which is called Toad of Toad Hall, which he wrote in 1929. So obviously you can see that's in the middle of him writing Pooh, the original Winnie the Pooh and Pooh's Corner. So it's really interesting that you have this way, this really, really old tie-in between A.A. Milne and The Wind in the Willows. And I feel like it is tying so perfectly into the attraction, which I never would have known. So props to you for picking that out. There's also a Nautilus carved into the wood in the queue as a nod to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which sat across from the show building initially. So just another little something to look for while Which you're waiting in line. Which is now where Seven Dwarfs Mine Train is. Yes, precisely. And then um, later on in 2003, this ride made it to Disneyland. And it ended up being positioned in Critter Country. So, of course, initially they wanted it to be in Fantasyland. There just wasn't enough room to work with in Fantasyland. And they settled on Critter Country. Now, this was a very controversial decision. And I was shocked by that because I could kind of see, you know, we're Walt Disney World people, so maybe we're a little biased. I could understand being upset about losing Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. But this time in Disneyland, Brendan, do you know what they had to take away? The Country Bears. The Country Bear Jamboree. And personally, I can't ever be, I can't imagine being like, just so upset with losing that attraction. But some people were. Again, I understand it's original. But when the decision came out that they were going to replace Country Bear Jamboree with The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, it was met with a lot of backlash, specifically with the park managers. And that is its own drama that I'm sure Disneyland locals are more familiar with than we are. But that was a time period where a lot of people just didn't like those park managers and they just kind of lumped this on top of it. So 
you could definitely read more about that if you're interested, but we won't get into all of that. But it was, I don't know, it was an interesting decision. And that kind of leads us to think in both situations, do you think that was the right call to replace some of these original attractions with these newer, kind of more popular things? I think it was the correct decision in Magic Kingdom because I do like that it's now not a carbon copy at all of the Fantasyland and Disneyland. I think that they were never meant to be that way. And if Walt had not died, they wouldn't have been that way. That Magic Kingdom always would have been different. It's very difficult to say on Disneyland if it was correct or not. I will say I don't think the mini adventures of Winnie the Pooh draws as much of a crowd as they thought it would. So a lot of the marketing or discussion that you see from this time period is that they're like, basically it's a business decision is that country bear jamboree is not getting the crowds anymore. So we are now going to transition this over to something newer and fresher that we think will get crowds. I don't think it's now we've only been there once but I've checked a lot of Disneyland wait times before. I don't think I ever see it over 20 minutes. I will say in the like the ride research that I've done. So this attraction is actually located in four parks. So Walt Disney World, Disneyland in California, of course, Hong Kong and Shanghai. And then there's a completely different, you know, Pooh's Honey Hunt in Tokyo that we're not talking about. But between the four parks where the attraction is the same, the um, what would you call it? The just popularity, the ride, the riders, it's the least in Disneyland. Which I think it probably plays into is that it doesn't fit into Critter Country. And so they talked about the reason why they chose Critter Country is probably just because Country Bears were there. And they thought it was a good uh, opportunity. But also they, they blamed it on that they had they already had a meet and greet set up for Pooh back there. Which, how much does a meet and greet cost to move? Not much at all. Or to rethink. No, yeah. So I don't really buy that one. I, So I don't know. I would lean towards it probably was not the correct decision in Disneyland, but it was the correct decision in Disney World. That's fair. That's a fair way to put it. So, of course, the Imagineers, when they redid this ride in Disneyland, to, again, play tribute, pay tribute, to the original attraction, Country Bear Jamboree, they left a few little Easter eggs. Um, and these, I think these are my favorite Easter eggs. I've never seen them because I didn't know they were there until this past week. But the trophy heads of Max the Buck, Buff the Buffalo, and Melvin the Moose, which were all some of the original audio animatronics, they can be spotted if you look up and backwards when leaving the Heffalump and Woozle woozle room on the archway and then pete renaday who is the voice of henry in the country bear shows is heard as the narrator and it's also a good time to point out is that when they originally did this they also said that the country bears were going to get their own attraction in critter country and they just never did it so it wasn't Pooh wasn't supposed to murder the country bears he was just supposed to miss Place them, <laughs> but he murdered them. He did. A bear on bear murder. Pooh went out. And he looked so soft and cuddly, very unassuming. I'm shocked. But that kind of wraps it up for 
ride history and just kind of everything and how those rides came to be in the parks. So next, the bulk of kind of the reason why we're here are these storytelling elements. And this is a really interesting one. So the story starts in the queue. And so the queue that we see now with the interactive pieces was a later edition. So used to you just kind of wind back and forth and get in, right? Mm -hmm. And then they went back and added in the honey wall, which now is like the most cringeworthy in the days of COVID. That is the most cringeworthy thing in all of the parks. There's yeah, lots no, of touching. There's no way that's coming back, right? Well, we can only hope that someday our yeah. future children or Ellie will get to experience the joy of swiping your hands across. The good thing is, too, sometimes you didn't have to touch it. You could just get kind of close and wave your hand across the honey to see the characters. They're going to hand out gloves before you do it or something. They might little wet wipes, maybe. That could be fun. Like wipe your hands, wipe the wall. I can't imagine them wanting to bring that back anytime soon. But also the other little elements like rabbit's garden out front and then the bees. What do you call that little game where like they're on the rail and you push them? I don't know. Push the bees? I don't know. <laughs> something like that. But I think it's a really cute interactive area. Oh, the popping game too where you're popping the balls and trying to get them on the other side. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely like a little playground for kids. It's a good way to let them run around without having to wait in line. Uh, pretty similar to like Peter Pan's flight, what they did there, the Dumbo interactive kind of playground area. Um, I think that was something that Disney really nailed when they worked on New Fantasyland. And I just think from the outside, it definitely makes this area look a lot more inviting. I love Rabbit's Garden. I love the big tree out in front that you have to pass as you're walking into the queue. I mean, it just screams. I like, think everybody should have to climb in. through the tree. I wish. I wish you could. It, they might need to be like ADA compliant so everyone can experience it. We'll make it huge. I'm just saying I think it should be symbolic that you are now in the 100 Acre Woods. I mean, I could support that for sure. So as you transition up to the ride vehicles, you're then greeted with the torn out book pages and they're telling the popular stories of Winnie the Pooh. And then you get into your giant honeypot that's surrounded by all of these pages. And the pages don't necessarily tell a cohesive story and that follows through into the ride as well. Like they're each kind of self-contained within each other. So if you're reading them as you go through the queue, there's not going to be a narrative that you're following. Do you think yes, that's Yes, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also just really interesting to look at, you know, the different storybook pages. And it is kind of showing, like you mentioned earlier, that when if you pick up these books that were written by A.A. A. Milne, like it isn't a beginning, middle, end type of story. You know, they're all like short stories that just tell about these many adventures. And that's kind of what you're experiencing as you walk through the queue. So I do think it's a great tribute to just the source material. And then again, that you are actually entering into this classic story to, you know, experience the hundred, the hundred acre woods. And I do think kind of to what you just said, I'm so glad that they went with like, Pooh's history is in literature. He is a literary character that then was adapted to a screen. I think we lose sight of that a lot of times. Like if you look at Harry Potter, 
the Wizarding World, there's not many references to this is a literary character first and foremost. They take the side of this is a movie character. We're putting you into the movie, whereas this one is a much different approach is that you are being inserted into the book and these stories that you heard as a child that your grandmother read to you, you're now part of it and you're getting to see these characters come to life. And there's not a reference to a movie or a CGI Winnie the Pooh. It's the same characters that you knew as a kid. And it's like as you interact with them, it's like they're jumping off the pages. Like they're still like there are some parts of the ride that are one dimensional. So no, this is not the most like highly technical ride that you can experience. It's not like mind blowing as far as immersion. But when you think about what they're trying to accomplish here, I do think they kind of hit the nail on the head as far as you are in the book. Um, these characters are coming to life and you can read you know, as the narrator is speaking, as you go through these different scenes, you, you're you reading it on the wall, too. Like, you're still surrounded by book pages. And so, if we talk about the scenes, you start out in the Windy Day, which is based on the Blustery Day short story. And this one is really interesting because one of the first characters that you see is Gopher, which is a really interesting choice. And I don't think I like it. Gopher is not an A.A. Milne character. He was added in later by Disney. And so he's saying something about he's not in the phone book or something is like his his dialogue. But it's also a nod of him like saying, I'm not in the book. (laughs) I don't belong here. (laughs) Which, I mean, it's not a huge deal, but it's just kind of one of those things. If you're going to show me the books and how they are, Make it true to the books. It is kind of clever, though. I can appreciate like the wit that goes into that. I'm going to listen for that next time. You then transition into that scene that we talked about previously with Owl's house being blown over. And that's where you get the nods to the wind in the willows. And then you get into the bouncing with Tigger scene, which is probably, I guess we're going to, you asked at the end of which is your favorite scene, but a very fun scene. I mean, who doesn't love Tigger? Everyone loves Tigger. You then transition into Pooh is dreaming, and so you go into his nightmare, which is the Heffalump and Woozles scene. And so a couple things to note here, the Pooh dreaming scene where you see him float off Mm -hmm. is the Pepper's ghost tactic of an illusion, which is the same illusion that they're using in the ballroom scene in the Haunted Mansion. So I love that they were able to incorporate that over here. And then this is also where kind of the music is dominating the narrative instead of the narration. And the song that you're hearing is Heffalumps and Woozles, which was written by the Sherman Brothers. And so if you have not watched The Boys, which is a Disney Plus documentary, I don't know if I recommend it or not, to be completely honest. It tore me apart. We debate this a lot just between the two of us because it what it is so mind-boggling and it really changes your whole perspective on how you view the Sherman brothers. I just think it's a dynamic relationship between two brothers. If anyone has siblings listening out there, you know they're always interesting relationships and that's exactly what it was. Great work partners, interesting brotherly relationship. 
And I think it's it's interesting because the Sherman brothers show up twice in this. They also are playing in the very next scene, which is the rainy day scene. And so when the rain came down is also written by the Sherman brothers, which isn't both are just excellent songs. Heffalumps and Woozles is a bop. It is. And I think even though that's supposed to be like a scary nightmare scene, that one is always one of my favorites as well. So as you transition from the rainy day scene, you then get to the end party hooray scene where you can see all of the characters are there and they're gathered around the picnic table. And then Pooh is enjoying his honey. Very, I don't know. what He's very messy. He's very messy and he's right in your face, but (laughs) he's very cute enjoying his honey. So these, it's not necessarily a beginning, middle and an end, but it does play off of each other a little bit. I mean, you can infer that because of the blustery day, Pooh's very tired. He had a stressful day trying to make sure that Al's house didn't blow away. He falls asleep. He has a nightmare, wakes up, raining the next day, and then they get to celebrate which the rent whence the rain has gone away. Is Christopher Robin in this? I'm trying really hard to picture that end scene now. Part of me wants to say yes. Pause. We're going to go watch it real quick. We'll be back. Okay, we watched it. He's not actually in the ride. He is just on the storybook pages. So my question to you is, are we Christopher Robin in this story? I wouldn't think so. That's a lot of inferring that you're doing right now. I mean, hmm. Don't you think Christopher Robin would have more of like an active role in everything? I don't know. I mean, maybe that's what you're, I mean, that maybe that's what the honeypots are doing is they're being active because they're bouncing with Tigger and they're escaping the nightmare of the heffalumps and woozles. I'm just viewing it through the standpoint of that. These are Christopher Robin's friends. They are exclusive to Christopher Robin. Yes. No other people are visiting the 100 Acre Woods. They are the only human that, he's the only human that they know. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes me think is that, is it from the point of view is that we are Christopher? I mean, I could see that. I think that's an interesting way to think about it. When... I don't know. When I go through it, I guess I'm more so just in the role of like reading the story kind of. So just kind of inserting myself into it to experience it in a different way. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Imagineer is almost intended for you to be Christopher Robin because it kind of goes back to what we talked about with Snow White's Scary Adventures when that ride initially debuted there was no Snow White because they wanted you to be Snow White and have those same emotions. So by they're not having a Christopher Robin, I guess it's kind of up for interpretation. That's what I'm saying is they, they have a history of doing this, but in the past it's failed. Like Peter Pan was the same way. Mm-hmm. You were supposed to be Peter on the ride and it didn't make sense to people because they couldn't see Peter. Here, the focal point is Pooh. So, and Christopher Robin is almost secondary or tertiary. So you can almost pull it off. 
And it makes sense either way, whether you're viewing it as Christopher Robin or if you're just viewing it as I'm seeing these stories come to life. But I'm thinking for my own benefit, I think next time I write it, I'm going to view it through the eyes of Christopher Robin. I like that idea. I think it's worth a try. Okay. I'll report back. Okay. So a couple of talking points as we wrap up the story part of it, if we want to revisit that idea of does this satisfy the fun aspect of what is required determined by Walt for what Fantasyland is supposed to provide? I think it does. I think the Tigger scene helps a lot with that because this is one of those rides. And as we get into our Neverland score, we both ranked this category very highly, but you're smiling from ear to ear. It just automatically brings a lot of joy and a lot of nostalgia. So I think there is an element of fun in that. And even though there's not a cohesive story, I don't think that's, you know, even necessary for like the fun aspect. Like I think it's exciting It is somewhat adventurous because you are getting to see these different scenes and experience these different parts of the Hundred Acre Woods. So I would say yes. I think it's, I do think it satisfies fun. And I dare say it satisfies fun better than Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. That's not our purpose here. But I do think it satisfies it maybe a little bit better. I do think there's an interesting comparison, and we alluded to it at the beginning of the episode, of talking about the Heffalump and Woozle scene, which is freaky. It's weird. Compared to the Mr. Toad's Water Ride ending in the heck scene. What is that? What's the comparison you're trying to make Which there? one's weirder? Oh, definitely Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. One is like a weird trip. And then one's like, you're what looking around happened? like wide-eyed, like, are you kidding me? Did they really do this? And they did it. They did in two different parks and thought that was a good idea. I think other people are more okay with this than us. I like <laughs> Other people don't seem to be caught up on the fact that you end in heck. But I still have a problem with it. I just feel like to me it was so alarming because I'm an adult who loves Disney and... I didn't know about this. I went, what, 25 years without knowing that there was a ride in the motherland, Disneyland, Fantasyland for that matter, where it just ends like that. And I was, I think I was more just shocked than anything else. And I wasn't okay with the shock factor. Maybe someone needed to sit me down before I rode the ride and say, like, hey, this is what you need to expect. And maybe I would have been slightly more okay. When I think we were also just both shocked that that's how the ride ended. Like, there was no resolution. There was no hooray, like you get with Winnie the Pooh. It was just like, okay, get off, bye. (laughs) I told them. Maybe we're missing something. We haven't done Mr. Toad's Wild Ride yet. We have For storytelling. So we'll have to do that. But I I do think... If you're just looking at it from the standpoint of that, it has to achieve one of the elements, fun, fear, which is absent in Magic Kingdom right now and is about to be absent in Disneyland once Snow White's blissful fairy tale adventure, I don't know what they're (laughs) calling it, once the new version opens up, once the parks open, 
Um, so fear will be absent. So I'm at least happy that adventure and fun are still there. You don't like I'm my cracking up at your at your title for Snow White. <laughs> Blissful, rainbow, happy, nothing enchanted, is wrong. Enchanted. Yeah. Oh gosh. What that's is the funny. new name for the attraction? I think it's like Enchanted Adventure. I want to say it has something to do with Enchanted. That seems very, you know, coming of age, new Disney. And times change, obviously, and people feel very strongly about Snow White's scary adventure. But I just go back to like Walt wanted fear there in some aspect. And maybe now you can view it as that just the Heffalump and Woozle scene in itself is providing that fear aspect. But I still think the ride, more so than anything, is fun and nostalgia. I completely agree. I think Peter Pan still hits on the adventure. Now we have a fun element. We'll probably honestly never see another true element of fear in the way that Walt envisioned it. I think, you know, you can stretch some things and say that there are, you know, small elements of fear that we've talked about with like these thrill rides of, you know, like a healthy fear kind of thing. But no, I don't think they will ever create another ride quite like Snow White's Scary Adventure. So let's get to our Neverland scores. And I give it a six. Which is pretty solid compared would, to some that we've done in the past. I rated it really high in nostalgia. I just ranked it low in like willingness to wait and thrill ride aspect. And what else did I write it low in? You're looking at my sheet. I am. Um, Thrill Factor, Standby Worthy. Those were the two lowest. The others are just kind of middle of the road. I think it's a really enjoyable attraction. I think as much as I love Fantasyland, I more love it for the people watching in the music, in the views that you get of the castle in that area. I guess in this context of this conversation, we're specifically looking at the Walt Disney World version. Yes. Because Critter Country is... Its own beast. Yeah, well, that's a little less to be desired. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I love Fantasyland, but it's just not a land where I feel like I've got to do something to get my fix in this area. So that's why I'm not willing to wait very long for any of these Fantasyland attractions. I can appreciate that. Um, I just realized that when I tallied my score, I counted it up wrong. So I actually gave it a six and a half which is pretty close to yours. I just ranked it a little higher in two different categories as far as standby worthy. Because I do love the interactive queue, I do think there's a lot to look at. Um, I even just like reading the book pages that I can. That's kind of nerdy. but Nerd. I know. <laughs> but I, I enjoy the queue, so I wouldn't mind waiting there. It's kind of like Peter Pan. As long as you have a lot to look at, it's not that bad. And then I also ranked it higher for... Four. Oh, thrill factor. I don't know what I was thinking on that one. Yeah, I don't know if there's a lot of thrill there. Bouncy, trouncy, wouncy, fancy, fun, 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 fun. Gotcha. It got me, yeah. That and maybe the heffalumps and What boozles. are all the adjectives that they say there? I mean, maybe you just hit the nail on the it's head. It's not wouncy. I can guarantee you wouncy is not in there. That <laughs> uh, was my own adaptation. I think flouncy is definitely in there, right? Trouncy. There's fun. There is, there is lots fun. of fun. So I think that about wraps it up for us. 
Um, We'd love to hear if you pick up on any of these storytelling elements the next time you get to write it. If you get to see some of these little hidden tributes, that's always a fun thing to look for. And do you agree with Brendan? Do you think that you are playing that missing role of Christopher Robin when you experience this attraction? You never answered your own question on what's your favorite scene. Yes, I did. Have lumps and woozles. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Detour to Neverland. If you got any sort of entertainment or information out of this, we would really appreciate it if you give us an iTunes review. It's absolutely the best way to help us out each and every week to grow the show. So this is our first episode of 2021. We have officially deemed 2021 the year of story for us. So you're going to hear a lot more things similar to this conversation that we had today is kind of our theme as we go through this year. So we hope you're enjoying this. If you have any sort of tips or feedback for us on what you like to hear from us, please let us know. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and we will chat with you real soon. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon. <laughs>